Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Man, God is good. God is good. We're going to end by worshiping. I love that song, Goodness of God. I think that is such a faith-building song. I don't know about you, but when I sing that, it it helps build my faith because there's some days, man, that is an easy song. Uh, to sing, and there's some days that's a hard song to sing, and it might just depend on the week, right? (laughs) You're like, everywhere I go, I see your goodness. Some weeks you're like, amen, and some weeks you're like, where? (laughs) But God is good. Uh, We've been in this series through Ruth uh, called The Best is Yet to Come, And, uh, and I have to say, I've been encouraged just reading Ruth and seeing what God has been doing. I've been encouraged by how God has been moving uh, in this church specifically. And uh, man, it's really been fantastic. On Friday night, we had a men's uh, barbecue and prayer. I don't remember what we even called it. We're just like, well, we're going to eat a lot and then we're going to pray. Yeah, it's men's something. You know, there's nothing like eating a bunch of food and then closing your eyes for a while, right? Some half the prayers were like, Lord, let me stay awake. Uh, But the food was amazing. Our men's team did a great job. But uh, even beyond that, God moved. It was a really great time. We had someone who was having chronic back pain who was miraculously healed by the Lord. It was incredible. And, uh, and and man, we had a couple others. But one of my favorite things about these ministries in this time is, like, men will just be real when they're around other men. So, like, if you pray for a guy to be healed and he's not, he'd be like, no, it didn't work, right? And so when it does happen, you know, you know, it's it's very authentic. And so we're so thankful for what God is doing. But also thankful for what he is going to continue to do. Uh, and, And so we call this... A series, the best is yet to come, because I think there's a sense of hope that we want to renew and awaken uh, in our church and in uh, in us as individuals. And I think especially. Uh, we, we must recognize we're coming out of a season of a little bit of dread where the idea of what's coming next might not be the most exciting emotion or feeling or anticipation. And so I, I sense that in a lot of, of hearts, and even as we were talking in the men's uh, gathering, it was a lot of the, the attitude is, it's not, it's not a lack of love for the Lord, but it's just a sense of feeling weary and feeling exhausted and kind of going through the motions. There's not really a great expectation about what God could do is just kind of like, I'm powering through, I'm doing my thing, I'm just kind of like moving forward. And so as we look at Ruth, my, my desire, my longing in teaching this is because I believe there's something in the book of Ruth that inspires us to hope. Because Ruth is a story of redemption. Ruth is a story of, of people who are destined for death and despair, but who are restored and redeemed because of the goodness of God. We started this series talking through Ruth chapter 1. And in Ruth chapter 1, we get the beginning of a picture where a woman, Naomi, and her husband, Elimelech, and their two sons go to the nation of Moab because uh, Judah is having a, a time of famine. And so they go to a nation that God has told them not to go to, not to intermarry with, and all these kind of things because of the worship there was very demonic and it was very against God. He says, don't do that. They do that. And when they go there, the two sons marry Moabite women, and then tragedy strikes. A couple things happen. One is very overt, and one's not not as overt. The very overt tragedy is that the two sons and the husband all die. The men in the family die. And so the women are widowed. 
The other tragedy that's not as obvious on the surface but is very important is that neither women ever gave birth during the time that they were married. So that means that there is no, there are no sons to continue on the line of the family. And so if you are widowed with no sons to continue on the line, that, that's problematic for your family line because it means it's kind of over. So there's the very like obvious problems of being widowed in the ancient Near East, which are very similar to how they've been for ages, which is providing for yourself, providing you know, for, you know, for your health, for food, all these kind of things. But there's the greater challenges of essentially the future and the hope of the future is kind of over. And so the men die, and Naomi returns to Judah. And when she returns to Judah, she tells uh, uh, Ruth, for whom the book is named, and the other, other daughter-in-law, hey, listen, you guys can go back to your people, to the people of Moab, and marry and have sons and continue your life. There's really nothing for me. My, my life is just bitter. But what's interesting is instead of Ruth leaving, she actually clings to Naomi. And beyond clinging to Naomi, we see that she clings to Yahweh. She clings to the Lord and goes with her. And so they return. And in Ruth 1, verse 20, it says this. It says, she said to them, meaning the people of Judah when she returns, it says, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi says, when I've come back, I am empty. And I feel like God has dealt very bitterly with me. I'm in a place of hopelessness. When you feel like God is against you, that's a pretty hopeless place to be, right? Like maybe if your neighbor is against you, if maybe someone in your family is against you, that's one thing. But God, that's like, okay, well, where do we go from there? So she comes back, and she is hopeless. And I think the story of Ruth is profoundly identifiable because many of us in our life have felt discouraged, hopeless, Many of you even today maybe are feeling like Naomi felt, which is like, man, don't even talk to me about the future. Don't even talk to me about my life. I'm just empty. Everywhere I thought my life was going to go, it did not go. I feel like God is maybe even against me, and I just feel empty. I'm exhausted. But the reason I love the book of Ruth is that it is an encouragement even for us. Because like Naomi and like Ruth, who begin to discover that they have a Redeemer, it is the same for you and I, that you and I have a Redeemer who restores us to life and restores our hope. And the story of Ruth is really the story of, of people walking faithfully with God, and as they walk faithfully, and not perfectly, but faithfully, as they walk faithfully with God, they move from bitterness to blessing. And when I say blessing, I know, again, we're like introducing a term here that is very loaded because we think of this hashtag blessed, like what kind of car you drive or what clothes you wear or different things. But the blessing that they're walking is something greater than just temporal, finite blessing. There's something greater and more profound. Though it does meet their needs, we watch as God begins to restore their hope and God begins to move them towards this place of redemption because truly in their life, the story of Ruth is a story that the best is yet to come. Yeah. And so in, in Ruth 2, Ruth chapter 2, 
Ruth goes out and begins to work the field. She's a hard worker, and she goes out, she begins to work the field and to glean the grain, and a man named Boaz comes into the picture, and Boaz sees her. He's heard about her, but he sees her, and he brings her to him, and he begins to speak to her lovingly and caringly, and he says, listen, you found favor here, and I'm praying for more favor for you because you took refuge under the wings of God. He says, man, Ruth, there's something about you. When you cling to Naomi, you, cling, you clung to God. And you've come under the wings of God, under the security of God. And what we discover in Ruth 2 is this incredibly worthy, compassionate, caring man of God is actually the kinsman redeemer. And the kinsman redeemer was a really important role for Israel. Because when a husband would die... A relative in certain successions, brothers, and then, you know, kind of further and further detached, depending on who was around, could come in and they could marry the wife of the widow to continue the name of the husband. And that's a really big deal. Because that's how you keep your family line from dying out. I mean, not only you literally dying but your family line from dying out. And so God put in this principle, this law, of a kinsman redeemer, the person who would come along and redeem what was destined for death. And so in Ruth 3, Ruth discovers this, and so she goes and risks it all, basically, for Boaz. And we saw last week this really beautiful story of strategic righteousness. You can go listen to that because we have a podcast. <laughs> but we saw this story of strategic righteousness and how she goes and then asks Boaz says, hey, will you take me under your wing? Would you spread your wings over me? Which was a euphemism for marriage. Will you marry me? Which was a bold thing then and now for a woman to ask a guy, will you marry me? <laughs> Especially in the situation that led up to theirs. But what's, it was actually an incredibly beautiful and poetic story of what God is doing in their lives. And I think as we look at the story of Ruth, what we could look at, at it as is, man, it's setback after setback after setback after setback, right? It's difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. Where is God? Or we can look at it as God is working in a broken world with broken people and amidst brokenness to bring about light, life, and hope. And so where we left off last week was that this man, Boaz, we had this beautiful romantic rom-com-esque moment where they're there together, and it's like, yes, I will spread my wings over you. I love you so much. And he's like, I love you too. And then he was like, pause. And he paused it, which is kind of wild. And he's like, hey, there's another kinsman redeemer, which is only mildly ironic to me that Naomi comes back to town. It's like, there's no one for us. We're all going to die. And it's like, actually, there's two people, right? And you had two daughters-in-law. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's funny how, like, emotion will do that to us. They're like, there's nothing. Everything's hopeless. And, like, the first person she meets is the guy, right? God's good. Uh, so where we're left off is Boaz says, well, okay, there's another redeemer, and I'm going to go check with them first. And we're like, What? But I think it sets it up for a good ending, specifically because Boaz is showing this kind of righteousness where he's not seeing them as setbacks. He's seeing them as part of the way God's will is working and that he will trust in God's providence even in the face of setbacks. See, it's, sometimes it's not just what we walk through. It's like how we walk through it. 
Boaz is facing difficulty, Ruth is facing difficulty, Naomi's facing difficulty, and yet two of those three are facing it in the sense of what can God do? And their experience seems profoundly joyful, even though they're both suffering loss, they're both suffering difficulty, and, and, and walking through things, they're facing it diff differently. And so we get to Ruth chapter 4, and there's a sense that hope is about to, to begin and to break forth or be fulfilled in their lives. And so we're going to read that together. If you have your Bible, jump to the book of Ruth. It's right after the book of Judges. It's four chapters. If you skim, you might go too quick. Uh, the words will be on the screen, so we'll read those as well. It says this, verse 1. This is after Boaz said, i got to go find the other guy who can redeem you. It says, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. So Boaz goes to the city gate, which is the place of usually commerce, official business. It's a place of people are coming in and out, right? People are, people are moving. You know, it's why, you know, you put all of, you know, these businesses and things by the road, not 30 miles out of the desert, right? There's a place where people come and do business. That is their place. They came and, and you would do official business. So he sees this other guy who's the redeemer, who's kind of next in line. We understand succession, those kind of things. He's next in line. He sees him and says, hey, come sit with me and in fact let's get 10 witnesses so we make this thing official in the eyes of our culture and under the law so they bring in 10 witnesses and it says in verse 3 Boaz says to the redeemer Naomi who has come back from the country of Moab is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech so I thought it would I thought I would tell you of it and say buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he, meaning the other guy, who we didn't even get his name, says, I will redeem it. And if you're following along in the story, you're like, I'm sorry, what? Have you ever seen a movie that ends and you're just angry? Right? You're just furious. Like, I watched this whole dumb movie, and there wasn't room for two people on the raft, right? You had to push him into the water. Poor Leonardo DiCaprio sink into the bottom. There was room. I've seen the graph. There was room for both of them. I had to watch two, v maybe three, if I remember right, at least two VHS tapes of the Titanic just to find out the boat sinks anyways, no matter what the ending is. And there's no room for him baloney. There's room for him. There's room. I stand on that. That movie's 20 years old. It still bothers me. And I understand it's part of the story. I don't care. It's a dumb ending. That's my point. Like, since you already know the boat's going to sink, you got to do something else to end it. Uh, she's like, anyways, that's not important. The important part is that many of us have that feeling, and I had this feeling uh, the very first time I ever read about Ruth. Is like you read this chapter and, and you think, wait a second, we've been doing this whole romance thing for like three chapters. You're going to have me read three chapters about this guy, and then this other guy's going to say, well, I'll redeem it. But Boaz is really smart. See, he's not being deceptive. He's being intelligent, <laughs> right? He's using wisdom. Because he's presenting the field, but he's then going to add the most crucial part, which is the part he actually cares about. He already has fields. He wants something bigger and more important. So he says in verse 5, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. 
the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Basically, he's like, you want the land? Got to get the girl. But that's kind of like what it sounds like on the surface. But importantly, when you would redeem a family line, when you would redeem uh, a family line, you would be redeeming the name of Ruth's husband, that lineage that continues through that. You would be redeeming this, this family. So in many ways, surrendering, let's say, if you already had sons, their place in the inheritance. So it's likely maybe this person could have had sons. By the fact he's not shamed for this, uh, for giving it up, says he pro there was probably some good reason that he didn't, but he probably had some, some infrastructure in there that prevented him from doing that. And when you redeem a family, right, Boaz is coming under this name. He's, he's continuing the line of Naomi that's continuing, not just the line of Boaz. And Boaz's line is pretty interesting because Boaz's father is Salmon or Solomon, depending on when you want to pronounce it. I'm from Washington, so I say Salmon, right? who married a woman named Rahab. So his line is already interesting if you know who Rahab is, which is probably why Boaz, Boaz is really open to marrying a foreigner. Um, you can go back and read about Joshua and Jericho and Rahab and all that later. <laughs> but there's something interesting that's happening is that he's come under and he said, listen, you, you have to begin and you have to redeem the whole family. It's not just about land. You have to redeem the whole family. And the guy says, I can't. Boaz says, great, I'll do it. So in Ruth 4.7, it says, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. It says, So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Chile and Malan, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malan, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were gathered at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tabor, or Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz says, I'm coming in to redeem the name of the dead. I'm coming in to give life where there was death. That's what a redeemer does, right? A redeemer comes in and gives life to death, redeems what was meant for despair and brings it to life and to hope. And so Boaz says, I'm now that person, the person that you didn't even know existed in chapter one of your life. He says, I am that person. I am that redeemer who is going to redeem what was meant for the dead. And the women pray. They said, yes, may this Ruth be like Rachel and Leah. What are they saying? May she bear you a son, right? Because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman, which sounds really neato unless you remember Ruth chapter 1. And in Ruth chapter 1, we find out she can't 
or at least doesn't have children. And culturally, they were always trying to have children. Now it's like, we're going to start trying. They were always trying to have children. Always, right? And so there were no children. And so there's a fear here, a setback here. Okay, you have a, a man who's come in to be the redeemer, right? And part of redeeming it is making a son. But what we know from the past experiences, she doesn't have kids. And so there's a fear there. There's a setback. Is there barrenness? There's an uncertainty here. But what I love about this story is God is continually touching on the ways in which they feel hopeless, and he's bringing hope. Nothing is hopeless with the God of hope. And right here in the story, we can kind of stand on this providence that, or this promise that if God began it, he will finish it. I'm very confident of that. As we've been looking at, a, we, we're selling this building, we're under, you know, contract on this space, we're looking for a new building. People ask, are you worried? I say, no, because I'm confident that God is calling us. And if he started it, I'm confident he'll finish it. If I start it, I'm not as confident if I'll finish it <laughs> all the time, right? Because that's human effort. But if God starts it, I'm confident that he will finish it because that's who he is. And we see that in Ruth. It says in Ruth 4 verse 13, it says, Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. I love that. I, I didn't share this in, in, in first service. We just pause there. That is such a profound statement to make in the time because all you wanted was sons. And the people, the people collectively are recognizing Ruth has something special about her. That she clung to you and led you toward the promise and that God was guiding and directing you in a, in a way that is more valuable than seven sons because he's given you exactly what you need to redeem your life. It says, Naomi took the child, right, happy grandma, laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You only laugh when you know which kid is crying. <laughs> As we look at the full story, what we, what we see in Ruth is that God is changing bitterness to blessing. We have a barren widow. We have a broken world. She's walking in the space of destined for bitterness and a sorrow life. She's walking out the death of her family, the suffering, but she is being redeemed and restored and blessed by God. And what's amazing about Ruth to me is that in the face of suffering, she trusted God. In the face of it really mattering, of it really counting, she trusted God, and God turned bitterness into blessing. And the women now gather around her and say, you are blessed. Chapter 1, bitter, barren, burden. Now you're in the line of David. 
Think about that. Chapter 1, she is frustrated. She's bitter. She says, I'm empty. In chapter 4, she's blessed. Right? They just birthed the grandfather of King David. If you're not familiar with Israel, King David is like the greatest physical king who has ever lived for, for Israel. Likely in all of the earth, he is one of the greatest kings who have ever lived. He's going to take Israel to their highest heights they have ever achieved. He's going to lead them closer to God. He's going to lead them to greater power and authority. He is the, 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 the king that stands above for them. They recognize him. They celebrate him, right? It's the star of David, right? Pinnacle. And this is the God we serve. It's not like he just redeemed their line. He redeems their line and puts them in the lineage of King David. But that's the God we serve. The God who gives beauty for ashes. I love Isaiah 61. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The prophet says, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I love that. The God prophesies, speaks to the prophet, God speaks through the prophet to prophesy to his people the year of the Lord's favor, beauty for ashes, joy for mourning. And it might be enough to stop there and say, man, that's incredible for Israel. That's so great for them. King David, whew, yes, thumbs up, number one. But it's so much greater than that. One of my favorite moments in scripture is when Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, goes into the temple and he opens up a scroll and he reads what I just read to you. And he looks at everybody and just like this really baller move, rolls it back up, hands it back, and it's like, today it's fulfilled in your presence. And then sits down, which is prime. That's, that's awesome. What is he saying? He's saying this year of jubilee, this year of joy, of redemption. The redeemer that you are waiting for, who turns beauty into ashes, who turns joy into mourning, who, who or sorry, who... Turns ashes to beauty, mourning into joy, and weakness into praise. He says, that Redeemer is here. See, this is what's so beautiful is that God sends his son, Jesus, so that he might turn our bitterness, the bitter cup of sin and shame, into the blessed cup of relationship and righteousness. Can I have that water? Thank you. I don't know whose this is, but I need it. <clears throat> I hope it's somebody healthy. Is it you? All right, it's my pregnant wife. She's fine. That's my son. <laughs> it's a family affair. We're just transition, altar time. No. <laughs> I love this about the Lord. That you know, as I read Ruth and I think of the Redeemer, I, I'm constantly and Scripture is pointing ahead, and I'm constantly reflecting back on our Redeemer Jesus Christ. That you and I, we have a Redeemer someone to redeem our life, someone who has come so that though we are destined for despair and even death through our sin and shame, that he has come to give us life and give it to the fullest. 
and because of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, there's a couple things that we can even hope for today. One of them is there's hope for your soul, right? There's hope for your soul today. Hebrews 6.19 says, we have this as an anchor of the soul, that a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, meaning this. We are the anchor for our soul. The hope that anchors our soul is Jesus Christ who went into the place that is normally behind the curtain and made a way for us. The curtain was what separated uh, the Holy of Holies in the temple. And so the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies and the curtain separated that place from most people. And so the high priest was the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies. And the high priest would have to do all of this like cleansing rituals so that he could go into the Holy of Holies. And if he didn't do it right and he went in and he still had stuff that he was not purified of, he would die. They had these little jingle bells they'd put on his leg. When they stopped hearing the jingle jangle, they would drag him out because he was dead. Intense, right? Some of you are like, I wouldn't go to church if that's how it worked, right? <laughs> Amen. Me neither. So when Christ dies on the cross, the curtain is torn, both symbolically and literally. It's torn, meaning that that holy place, the place of presence with him, that where the priests would go in and make sacrifices for all of Israel to atone for their sins, Jesus has already gone in, and he is the sacrifice which atones for our sins. So your sins, think of them. You can even name them. You know them. He has already died for them, paid for them. He has been the atonement for us. He has taken our place and risen to life. He has torn the curtain, which means that we can have hope hope for our soul. We no longer have to wait or wonder what can take away the burden of sin and shame in our life, for Christ has already taken it. His life is our offering poured out. The curtain is torn. We have uh, a relationship with him. His presence is with us, and we are free from sin and shame. Without Christ, life is a bitter cup. It is a bitter place. We are under the scourge of sin and death. But when Christ frees us through our Redeemer, he redeems us for that place. So like Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, we can say, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Because my soul now hopes in the God who defeated death, hell, and the grave. That my Redeemer has replaced the scourge and the sorrow of death with the joy of life. There's hope. There's hope for our souls. There's hope for our life. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, there is still hope through Jesus Christ who loved you and gave himself for you. He gave himself for you because he loves you so deeply. But not only is there a hope in, in the sense of our soul, in the physical there's hope for blessing. And again, this is where words, I think sometimes, they carry uh, ill-attached weight because of cultural motives. And so often when we say blessing, we live in this kind of hashtag blessed mentality of blessing is like just the temporal things that I desire. And though I, I do believe that God will, will and does give desires of hearts, I believe that the primary desire of the heart he's seeking to give is the desire for him and him to move in our lives and for us to walk in accordance with his will. The reality is we live in a broken world. And I talk to people all the time, it seems like today, who are shocked by the brokenness of the world. And so they live in this space of like, this has to be it. This has to be the end. And I'm not saying it is or isn't, because I've read the end of the Bible, and I know that it is coming and it doesn't get better. It's just if it's now or not, right? It's like, it's the end of days. It's like, okay, I don't know. 
Maybe. Right? People say, oh, is, is this it? Is it? Maybe. Here's, here's what I think is happening, though, amidst all that of yes or no, maybe, maybe not, is that we have social media access to see every kind of brutality around the world. So when there was genocide 400 years ago, no one tweeted it, though they were happening. The Armenian genocide. Who tweeted about the Armenian genocide? Nobody. It just happened. Right? So we live in this space of like, it's, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. But the reality is that, that I think it should wake us up to the fact that the world is broken. And though we do things to satiate that brokenness, there is a sense where we have to recognize that this is not what God intended. Whether this is, the, you know, four days from the end or not, this is not what God intended. He didn't intend sorrow and brokenness and sin. So how did it get here? It got here through our sin consequence of our brokenness. But the reality is we still have to live in that world of brokenness. Right? Ruth still, I mean, Ruth could recognize, yeah, things that people get sick, things happen, right? She could recognize that, but then also has to wake up the next day without a husband suffering. There's a recognition that there's suffering, there's hurt, there's pain. And I think in many ways that should resonate with our soul because many of us today are in brokenness. We're in suffering. We're walking through a space in a season of sorrow. Or maybe like Naomi, you're like, I'm just empty. I'm empty. Like, I mean, I power through my day because I have to. But that's kind of it. I go pick in the field. I, I glean from the edges because I feel like that's where I belong. I just glean from the edges of life. I just stay out of trouble. I glean from the edges, and I'm just kind of over here doing my thing, but I feel empty. The world is broken. I'm discouraged. But can I tell you, it's not selfish to hope in Jesus Christ for blessing in your life because Christ gives us hope for a future. Christ gives us hope that we serve a good God who works for our good, who works for the good of his people, who longs to bless his children, wants to give them good things, who long, wants to long, or who longs to move in the Holy Spirit, who defeated death, who overcame the world, who says to us in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. See, it's not because things are getting worse or better or it's closer. Or far. It's not because of any of that that we hope. It's because we have Christ. That's how we can hope in the future. And the end of Revelation, how do the people of God still have hope amidst Revelation? Because they're hoping in Jesus Christ, no matter how bad it gets. Why does that matter? Because if Christ conquered death, if Christ is greater than death, then that means that death does not have the last word for Christ. And if death does not have the last word for Christ, that means a lot of other things do not have the last word over Christ. Brokenness does not have the last word. Bitterness doesn't have the last word. Hear me, people who are in this place today, barrenness does not have the last word over Christ. And so when we hope in Christ, we need not despair because we serve a God who is greater than even death itself. Some of you just need to hear that today. You need God to write the story of Ruth over your life. And we have testimony after testimony in this church of people who have been suffering, who God has brought victory. I mean, I was just talking to someone yesterday about barrenness who were in a season of barrenness, but God brought a miracle child. And sometimes that might bring, oh, you can clap. Yeah, praise God. 
Sometimes that might stir envy in us, like, well, God, I'm still whatever it is. But can I encourage you today to allow that to stir hope in you? Okay, if he did, and he is, he will. If he did heal barrenness, and he is healing barrenness, he will heal barrenness. If he did heal the sick, and he is healing the sick, like I shared about before, then he will heal the sick. If he did raise the dead, and he is raising the dead, then he will raise the dead. If he did restore a family, then he will restore a family. And, and, and he, or he is restoring families, he will restore a family. That's who our God is. That's why we hope. That's why we have a hope for blessing, because God has overcome, and he is with us. It's also hope for eternity. This is one I think maybe we overlook a little bit, but as, as you begin to engage even outside of a Western context, you see how crucial this is. The early church saw it as so crucial as they lived in exile. And the more places you go where the gospel is not received, um, even with passivity, but with aggression, you begin to find this is constant in the way believers live, which is this world is not our home. I think that's a very reassuring thing. If you're a person who values justice, that's an important factor. That there will never be enough earthly justice to compensate for the evil that has occurred, but there's heavenly justice. That's reassuring to me. Like, if you're one of those people that really wants justice in our world, then believe in heavenly justice. It's going to be good. He's perfect at it. That was maybe more scary than encouraging. <laughs> it's not how I meant it. <laughs> Be a friend. People were like, only God can judge me. It's like, he will. No. <laughs> but we have this hope for eternity. We have this hope that, yes, there is sorrow. Yes, there is suffering in this world. And yes, we are thankful for the redemption through Jesus Christ. And yes, we're thankful that he brings blessing in this world. But also, we have hope for eternity. Scripture tells us, listen, the world has rejected me. They're, they're going to reject you. Scripture tells us, listen, they, as heirs of God and heirs with Christ, Romans 8 tells us, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, there's something about following Christ that's important is that though we are suffering and though we walk through suffering, there is a hope for eternity and eternal life. John 5 tells us, Jesus says to us, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment, but he passed from death to life. Because Christ our King, our Redeemer, conquered death, there is a day coming, and when he returns, where there will be no more death. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more tears. And if you have experienced suffering and sorrow and tears, there's a very real sense where you are excited about that. Amen? There will be no more. Yes, I hope right now, but also, man, I'm excited. I get Paul when he's like, I know I got things to do here, but man, I'm excited. I'm excited for that place of eternity with God. I've recently uh, had to do some funerals, uh, overseas and funerals in my life. Semi-recently, uh, my, my grandmother, and then very recently, my sister-in-law. And it's always interesting when you oversee uh, the funerals of people that, that you know very intimately because you really think about the kind of hope that you want to offer to the rest of the people in the room that you know very intimately. 
And so there, there's a sense of, of um, responsibility that rests in that moment. And I was really praying about in both situations what to share. And I shared from Revelation, which you would think would not be the go-to for a funeral because people are already bummed enough. Why read the part of Scripture that has, like, the whore of Babylon and, you know, Satan is a dragon, right? The Antichrist. First first, I thought that was funny. It's okay. We'll move on. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, but I was reading in, in Revelation uh, 21, and I'm constantly struck by the reality of the new heaven and new earth. And this idea that is shared in Revelation that the old will pass away and all suffering will be gone. And I think we, take, we can take great hope in that, to know in something greater than just what we see and face today, that someday we will all, who are believers, rejoice in heaven and praise God for giving us hope. We'll stand before a loving God who embraces us and celebrates us, and we'll worship at his feet, free from sorrow and free from pain. And that's really been my prayer lately in my own life, amidst my own suffering, is God, may I, like Ruth, cling to you for hope today, for more than I see. May my hope be more than what comes across my desk. May my hope be more than what I face. Maybe for you, may my hope be greater than my bank account. My, may my hope be greater than my diagnosis. May my hope be greater than, than, than my relationship status. May my hope be greater not to diminish my suffering, but to glorify God because in my weakness, he is made strong and I can trust in him. And my prayer is, like Ruth, God, may I cling to you, and as I cling to you, may you write the story of Ruth in my life as I cling to your hope. I'm going to read you Romans 5, 3 as the band comes up today. It says this. It says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want to read that to you again this morning. And I think it's important because if you stop in the middle, it sounds like a, a list of to-dos as if God is here to make you suffer so that you finally learn today. It's like God's looking at you and he's like, he's going to learn today. <laughs> but that's not how God operates. Look at the love that is in the heart of God. It says, God's, because God's love has been poured into our hearts. So what is this saying? Let, hear it again. It says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? We don't just rejoice in suffering. That would be crazy. But we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Why do we hope? We hope because we have a God who loves us and who has given us His Spirit. We hope because we've come under the wings of God and so we've learned we can trust Him. He's good. And so our prayer this morning is very simply, God, give us strength amidst our weakness. Lord, give me strength to hope amidst my weariness. God, write the story of Ruth in our lives. 
that we would have hope for our soul and salvation through Jesus, that, that we'd have hope for our lives and for blessing in our life, that the barren would be blessed, that the morning would begin dancing, that the sorrowful would experience joy, they would experience jubilee. And God, give us hope for a future and an eternity that is greater than what the earth can offer. Because you have the final word, God. You are the redeemer. God, my bitterness doesn't have the final word. You have the final word. God, my past doesn't have the final word. You have the final word. God, my mistakes don't have the final word. You have the final word. God, my discouragement doesn't have the final word. God, my diagnosis doesn't have the final word. God, you have the final word. And I trust you. Even when I'm in Ruth chapter 1 and I can't see it and I feel empty, I trust you. I trust you. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you just bow your heads with me? I want to take a moment to focus our hearts. And I'm going to invite you to respond today. And I really want to encourage you. We're going to sing this song, Goodness of God. But I want to invite you to respond today. If you're here in this place and you need your hope restored, there's two things I want to pray. One, very clearly, is if you need the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, if you've never received the hope and healing that comes through him and you're here today and today is the day where you surrender the sin and the burden of sin in your life and receive the hope of salvation i want you to know that jesus is here and he'll do a miracle in your life right now so if you're here and you're willing to say jesus i repent of my sin i lay my life at your feet and i recognize you as my lord and savior and i choose today to follow you if that's you choose today to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you lift your hand up and put it back down? I want to pray for you. Let me pray for you today. Lord, I thank you that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That God, we are lowered to death. That our sins are died upon the cross through you. That you have covered us by your blood and you now invite us into your resurrection. So to those who would say, Jesus, I repent of my sin and I choose to follow you. I pray right now be made new by the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus. And as you say yes to him, I pray right now he would lead you on the way and guide you. And even right now that your eternity is secured in him second thing I want to pray with you for. And in just a second, I'm going to invite you to lift your hands and I'd be honored to pray for you. But with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, you and the Lord this morning, if you're here today and you need your faith to be built, maybe you no longer have expectation for God to move. Maybe you've been trying to do things on your own power. You've kind of been just chugging through the motions, trying to do it your own way. But right here this morning, you say, you know what, God, I need you to strengthen my faith, to light a fire, to renew a passion. Maybe you've been feeling empty. You just, you need God to renew a passion and to renew hope within you and to begin even right now to write the story of Ruth upon your life. If that's you and you're here today, I would be honored to pray because I believe God wants to do a work even right now. If you need the Lord today to build your faith, to renew your heart, your expectation, to light a fire within you, whatever it might be, would you lift your hands? I want to pray for you this morning. We say, God, build my faith. Write the story of Ruth upon my life. Let me pray for you right now. Let's just agree together today, church. God, I thank you 
that it's your breath in our lungs that gives us life. It, it restores us. It renews us even. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're present. Just agree with me, church, that Holy Spirit, we recognize your presence in this place. And we thank you that though when we are empty, that you are the God who renews and restores. So I pray right now, Holy Spirit, renew. I pray that you would build faith today, that those who have been without expectation, who have been in a place of bitterness and maybe feeling forgotten or isolated, God, I pray right now you would stir expectation in their heart in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for those today who have been going through the motions but who right now need you to make a way. I pray you would stir up within them. God, I pray for those who feel like they have fallen, who feel like they are distant. I pray you would strengthen their faith in the name of Jesus. I pray you would light a fire within them by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would renew a passion, that you would renew a hope, that God, as they set their hope in you, that you would strengthen them, that in our weakness you would be made strong and glorified in your strength. I pray right now renewal in the name of Jesus. I pray even as we sing this song, speaking your goodness, I pray that we would begin to have that take root in our heart, the truth that God, you are good and that God, you are faithful and that God, you are with us in your mighty name. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.